Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Matchups Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely Thursday, as he will be for this entire football season, PFF data scientist and host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, part of the PFF Podcast Network, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we potted a few times together. Now we're going to do it every week, man. Great day to be great. How are you? Yeah, I'm happy about that. And congratulations to you, you know. You got Dwayne out of here, so congratulations. <laughs> big ups, big ups there. No, of course, sad to see Dwayne gone, but you're going to get a little variety here. You know, sometimes you got to spice it up. Uh, <laughs> I was going to make a bad married man joke there, but, you know, sometimes you got to spice it up, and you're going to have a lot of variety in your life this year. Uh, let's see if you can handle it. Hot start. And again, new podcast format, so still figure some things out. But the main goal here, uh, last year, Thursday pod DFS. And while I still love DFS, and I'm going to have an article on it Friday, and Kevin's got you guys covered with Showdown, I understand that not all of you play it. So our goal today is to basically run through five really cool things each that we found, you know, in the course of just studying this slate, mostly matchup driven, try to get you guys some takeaways, gambling, redraft, DFS, whatever the hell you want to do at football. Maybe just take one of these facts and press your friends and tell them that you came up with it. So a lot of different options, a lot of different actionable takeaways here, Kevin, and I'm excited to get going. Would you like to lead off with one cool thing you're looking forward to in week one? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, just to, to get behind the scenes a little bit here, you did send me some things that you want to talk about. So I'll, I'll stick I'll stick within that those parameters. But I thought it was interesting because you were highlighting some matchups. And maybe I'll just say overarching. Let's talk about overarching week one. Are you going to hit me is, with matchups don't matter in the first two minutes <laughs> I'm not of our hit you with matchups pod. don't matter, although they don't. <laughs> Nothing matters. Eat at Arby's. We already know. We already know that. But, um, like – Maybe not that nothing matters, but we know less now than we are going to know at any other point during the season. So we don't know who the good teams are as much as we will later on in the season. If you look at, for instance, power rankings, that'll look at how good of a team is versus a average team on a neutral field. They'll be much more compressed now than later on the season where we know the teams who stink. We know the teams who are really good. Everything is compressed now. Same goes for players. What we're expecting from them on a week by week basis is a larger degree of uncertainty. And for the good players on the downside, for the uncertain situations on the upside and a couple of the different matchups that you talked about, which I think are really interesting is I said I'm stealing JJ Zacharysians and ambiguous running back situations. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it sounds a little bit weird, but I'm going to steal it from him because you mentioned the Ravens run game and the Eagles run game. And sometimes we can look at these situations and say, who knows? It's throwing darts. It hurts my head to think about. I don't even want to deal with it. And I look back. I actually did some research here. You'd be proud of me. So I look back at winning Millie maker lineups week one since 2015 and you know a lot of lineups will have some randos in there in such in such a big contest but i feel like week one there's even more randomness in there here are some of the names that we've seen since 2015 uh chris ivory latavius murray theo riddick spencer ware Tariq cohen chris carson raheem mostert and then even last year melvin gordon where we didn't know you know what's going to happen with javante williams what's going to happen with melvin gordon so i do think these backfields are interesting in the fact that one of them could end up a situation where someone at least for week one is much more of a workhorse than we think they're going to be but yet just having that uncertainty will get people to fade them completely potentially in tournaments where they can be profitable I think there's also this slow transition that we're coming off, you know, months and months and months of looking at the entire season. And now we're just in week one. So some of these running backs like Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, guys that, you know, were in the fabled RB dead zone. We're fading them. They were fading them. All of a sudden, Kevin, with a lot of these guys, including Miles Sanders uh, that we were just talking about, I'm looking at the week one matchup, and I like them more than I have in months, basically, of just shouting down upon these guys. And I did want to talk about Miles Sanders specifically and see if maybe you think he can maybe 
fit the mold of some of those guys you were just mentioning. I think Sanders is a little bit more established uh, than them at this point, but just seems like Sanders was really left, you know, for dead this entire offseason. Obviously, didn't score all of last year. I was uh, doing some research myself this morning, not nearly as actionable as everything you just said, but it has been, as we record this on September 8th, 600 and 20 days since Miles Sanders has scored scored a touchdown. I feel like he's due, Kevin. And when you look at this Eagles run game, for me, okay, I get it. Kenneth Gainwell can do some good things in the passing game. Boston Scott, especially if they're playing the Giants, is going to do great things. But I was more concerned throughout the summer of them adding a Jordan Howard-esque guy, you know, getting that bruiser on the goal line. Because as things stand now, we got the Eagles, decent favorite over the Lions. Going into this year, Lions have PFF's 26th-ranked defensive line, 28th-ranked linebackers. They're a reigning bottom four defense in PPR points per game allowed to RBs. We know the Eagles have a big, badass offensive line. I feel like if we'd said all those things and just removed the name Miles Sanders, people would be a lot more interested in him this week. Yeah, no, I definitely think so. And you, you were right in pointing out some of these, the Josh Jacobs of the world's other things. The same reasons that people were unenthused to say the least to draft them are good reasons to look at them early in the season because they are the unexciting guy who may end up getting replaced may end up being phased out only works in certain types of game scripts well again we have a game script situation here where the eagles are favored by i think four four and a half points going into this game so all those different reasons are good yeah if miles sanders is legally allowed into the end zone i think he could he could have a chance to be big here but again even other guys, you know, Boston Scott, what, what will happen him with him? Kenneth Gainwell, I'm not quite as sure if he'll be able to get some early down work, but you just don't know what can happen in these backfields. So I think a discount on Sanders versus where the traditional RB1 would be there is a good way to roll things. Loving Miles Sanders this week. He's on turf too, and I haven't crunched the numbers on this, but players are faster on turf. We all know. Whatever if vibes. Could, if he, yeah. He's got good vibes on turf. <laughs> good vibes on turf, and that's going to wrap up the Miles Sanders analysis here. What about another uh, ambiguous backfield here, Kevin? Thanks, JJ. The Ravens run game going up against Jets defense that, yes, they've improved, you know, getting some injured guys back this year. I get it. A lot of young talent, first-round pick added to the front seven. Still entering week one with PFF, 16th-ranked defensive line, 26th-ranked linebacker core, reigning defending league worst defense and PPR points per game allowed to opposing RBs all off season. We've heard that the Ravens want to party like it's 2019. Again, we got the Isaiah likely hype going on. We're wondering how much Lamar Jackson's even going to be passing. Kevin, do you think the Ravens have a choice, but to just air the ball out right now, because otherwise it's going to be the Mike Davis show. So I guess the question here is like, can Mike Davis actually get back to the guy he was in 2020, which was someone we cared about in fantasy, or is this a giant trap and I need to shut the hell up talking about Mike Davis ahead of week one? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to differentiate. Like, are you thinking that you want to take that extra juicy, tiny salary amount and toss him into a cash lineup? Yeah, you might You might, you might not want to, want to do that, but I do think there's a lot of benefit for putting him in there. I mean, the Ravens could not run the ball last year, and – they don't want to do that again. I mean, they were a team that passed above expectation for a decent amount of the season or around, you know, middle of the league versus in prior years, resetting the record books as far as how often that they were running. ball. I think they want to get back to that. You know, they draft Tyler Lindebaum in the first round. They have uh, pieces that are coming back on the offensive line in, in addition to him and who the running back is. Maybe you can't be you know, the 2015 all-stars of Latavius Murray and bringing that, bringing those guys in and Devontae Freeman, I admit that might be too low of a bar for even running backs don't matter guys like myself. But when we're talking about Mike Davis, I think he's shown enough juice. He was just on a really awful team last year when given the chance he can do everything. And I think he could be a good option this week. And that's, again, it goes back to the Miles Sanders idea. Like, all year we say running backs don't matter. We follow the volume. That's what makes Dearness Johnson a freaking superstar for two weeks of the 2021 season. And then we get into week one. I think we can all agree, even if it's not the biggest smash matchup of the week, maybe it is, but it's a good matchup for the Ravens run game at a minimum. And we have a guy in Mike Davis looking at 15, 20 touches. I just wonder if his name wasn't Mike Davis, if it was Tyler freaking Beatty, some random ass rookie that we've known for three months, I feel like we would care a lot more about this matchup here. So I hear you, especially cash games, DFS. Yeah. You can, you know, just get that salary saver in there. But when it comes to just kind of like redraft season long rankings, Kevin, like let's say JK Dobbins is just 
out. Now he was limited in practice on Wednesday, but we got the Lamar Jackson quote, you know, things are going great. Hopefully he'll be out there in a few weeks. And everyone's I like, just, I, I just hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because <laughs> I mean, this is just so you know, JK, this is Ian Harditz. Go after him. Hey, hey, if you're hearing this Columbus lifer, JK, go bucks. <laughs> OH baby. If you happen to be listening. Okay. Kevin, if JK is out of the picture here, like how high does Mike Davis go? Cause like right now with Dobbins in the picture, I want nothing to do with either of them at that point. Obviously Kenyon Drake could still be involved. If Dobbins is out, like Ramondre Stevenson versus Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt versus Mike Davis, is that about the range you're thinking of? Or again, should I just not be talking about Mike Davis? No, I think that is that is about the range. I mean, it got a little cloudier, you know, Kenyon Drake coming in. You mentioned Tyler Beatty. I mean, I hope he gets, he gets elevated from the practice squad. Let's see, could he get elevated and, <laughs> and put in there? People go nuts for that. Um, so, you know, it is a little bit sticky as far as what can end up happening we don't know what will happen he's not going to have the certainty of a backup role or a 1b role like like a cream hunt but he gets, he's going to have that upside he's going to have the better matchup going into it so i think that is a fair range for him is right in that 1b type of running back range but he's going to have a lot more upside than the other 1b as well Kevin Haddon, you have a weekly quarterback rankings column up on PFF.com. You use a variety of metrics to help, you know, rank the quarterbacks. Just absolutely crazy. That's what happens in the quarterback rankings article. But <laughs> notice that uh, you have Trey Lance ahead of guys like Trevor Lawrence, Carson Wentz, Tua, Mariota. Now, is this pure passing or is this something that does take into account, you know, what he brings to the table as a rusher? I mean, it, it, it's rushing and passing. But let me give you a little a little background on it because – the, the rankings go into you have an expectation based upon draft position for how well we think someone will grade, how well we think someone will perform in an efficiency basis. The, the metric here is expected points added per play. But just think about how many you know how much value, the best value metric you can think of for, for a team and how they be playing. So each play that goes by they have a result and it keeps on going throughout the season. And there's a way of formulating based upon sample size, like how you adjust now your new expectation. So if you're Trevor Lawrence, didn't have the greatest first year uh, for a rookie, worse than you would have expected for a number one pick. So now going into a second season, his expectation is actually a little bit lower. The good and bad for Trey Lance is he didn't play much. So he wasn't great as a rookie, but we had such a small sample for him that he's closer to his draft expectation as a third overall pick. So that's really the reason that he's higher. But it does take into account rushing and everything else as part of, as part of the formula. What are your overall expectations for how efficient Lance can be as a passer? I mean, team, you know, I'll put my film hat on briefly. It didn't look pretty last year. I fully understand that. I'm not expecting him to be as efficient as Jimmy Garoppolo, even though they basically were last year, smaller samples and all that. But my God, Kevin, we lived in a world where people were standing Nick Mullins for years because of what he was able to do in this Shanahan system. Like, is it as simple with the Trey Lance evaluation, like with me ranking him as QB seven? Like, look, he's got Kittle. And if Kittle's out this week, he's got Debo. He's got Ayuk. He's playing a Bears defense that no longer has Khalil Mack in. And what the hell are they playing for at this point? I don't hate you, Bears fans. Don't blame me. Blame your freaking front office for doing nothing to surround your first-round quarterback with talent. That aside, though, like, I, I just – I'm ready to rank Trey Lance top seven each and every week, Kevin, and it's scary. But, man, if there was ever a system for a bad-passing quarterback to put up good passing numbers, I feel like this is it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird because he's a very different quarterback. You could say that Mullins is – more similar to Garoppolo. And I think the way that they produce value, the way that they move the ball down the field will be very different than what Trey Lance does. I mean, what Lance does, of course, we all know he brings the rushing, he brings the Konami code. That's going to be a huge part of anything that's happening in fantasy. I do think for the passing game, though, it might be a little bit more, you know, bits and starts, a little chunky. We've seen long plays that he's been able to produce, whether it was against the Texans last year. He had a big play to, I think, Debo Samuel. He had some big plays in the preseason, uh, throwing the ball down the field. That's going to be a bigger part of what he does. It's not going to be the consistent down the field, middle of the field production like you saw from Garoppolo. But in this type of matchup, there's going to be plenty of room to run the ball, and I expect him to do a lot of that, and I expect Trey Lance to do a, a, quite a bit of that, including potentially getting in the end zone. So this is a smash type of play that you shouldn't think twice about week one uh, against potentially one of the worst teams in the NFL. 
my bull QB call of the week is, in fact, Trey Lance, the overall QB1. I ranked him QB7. You know, that's just the sort of bullshit hedges we like to make in the fantasy football community. My breakout star of the year is also my wide receiver 45. You know, it's like draft season all over again. Getting the, you know, David Bell's a comp to Devontae Adams. And by the way, he's my wide receiver seven in this class alone. Uh, looking at the Chicago weather this Sunday, it is going to be rainy, but those wind, uh, the wind, which we usually care about more in fantasy football, looking at 10 miles per hour or under. Usually, unless we see wind, you know, starting to get into the 15, 20 mile per hour range or we get some gusts involved, that's when we really care. But to Kevin's point, I mean, for Trey Lance, if we get a rainy game that makes his rush attempts go from 7 to 14, like that's probably going to be a net positive. Just think about the way rushing yards are rewarded versus passing yards. We'll take rushing yards eight days of the week there. So, Kevin. At the Unexpected Points podcast, uh, you actually had a nice little series with uh, PFF's own Josh Hernsmeyer, where you were going over just some, uh, you called them blasphemous NFL takes. And uh, I love the one you had about Kyle Shanahan not being a top 10 NFL coach. And now in the world we live in, you say that or it gets put on a graphic and everyone just goes, my God, fuck this guy. We're not going to listen to him anymore. But of course, you had a rational reason for explaining it. And what you were able to show, man, Brian Hoyer. Exact same career EPA per dropback with and without Kyle Shanahan. Matt Ryan had a nice little boost, but Jimmy Garoppolo, basically exact same. Kirk Cousins, significantly worse with Kyle Shanahan compared to without. Why do we overrate Kyle's, like, in your opinion, why do we overrate Kyle Shanahan so much then? Well, I mean, first off, let me just say I, 10 was a little bit spicy. And I, <laughs> I hedged that by saying, or I explained that by saying, it's not just Shanahan, the coach, it's Shanahan, the GM, who... Okay. I don't think he's done the best job, whether it comes from, you know, the huge Jarek McKinnon, we got to have this guy to getting back on the board to, to draft uh, Jonathan Williams uh, in his first season where he was off the board Joe Williams. back on there. Joe, Joe. Williams, sorry. Oh. Joe Williams, <laughs> Joe Williams uh, RIP Joe Williams. Um, and then, you know, tra- you know, training up to get Trey Sermon and then putting in Elijah Mitchell, the guy's just kind of all over the place as a GM. So that was the, the final straw there. But I think what ends up being the, the important point here is, Coaching matters, right? Coaching definitely matters. Yet at the same time, it is something that others can kind of crib off of what teams are doing. You have to constantly update and evaluate what's going on. Shanahan's great at staying behind the curve, but he's also been good at producing some things like yards per attempt that we've seen with Garoppolo and with Mullins for a stretch. But then people forget about these longer stretches for Mullins and then for guys like Brian Hoyer, who didn't play as well when he's been there. So I'm not saying, you know, Shanahan's bad or anything like that. He's going to have have a great system. I think he's particularly going to have a good system when it comes to Trey Lance running the ball. I mean, this is a brand new thing to have that type of quarterback. He supposedly covets the Kirk Cousins of the world. That's why he was interested in Mac Jones, you know, maybe or maybe not. So this is going to be a whole new thing there. And that's what I'm excited to see more than even the downfield passing stuff, because I think a lot of that is going to be Trey Lance throwing the ball very far down the field. Yeah, another interesting note there. It's, it's just kind of the revisionist history with everything. Why did the 49ers lose to the Rams in the NFC Championship? Oh, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo, that fraud. Or maybe Kevin is, you know, Kyle Shanahan punting three times at or inside the Rams 45. Oh, yeah, just, he's, he's, he's a boomer when it comes to that stuff, no <laughs> doubt. Small little details that we like to tweet about in-game, and then, you know, six months in the offseason go by, and then it's just back to shitting on Jimmy G. But talking about Kirk Cousins, let's go ahead and look at his uh, week one matchup here up against the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, Kevin, Packers are my Super Bowl pick this year i know it's a weird and a trendy thing nowadays is just to hate aaron Rodgers. and if that's your thing go freaking do your thing i don't really care but i just look at this defense man it does seem like potentially the single best defense rogers gotten to play with throughout his career and rogers being set up to just be a overqualified game manager which okay that's not ideal i'd love to have him just be surrounded by, you know, juggernauts at wide receiver. But I certainly think he can get the job done. And even if this isn't going to be, you know, a top three ranked scoring offense, I have a hard time believing any offense with Aaron Rodgers under center is going to be, you know, anything other than at least above average. So looking at this week one matchup, though, you know, just defensive line front seven filled with studs for Green Bay, you know, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, uh, Devon J. Campbell, Rashawn Gary, amongst others. So looking at my lovely mismatch manifesto. I take the offenses pressure rate, combine it with the defenses, try to get a one-way metric so we're not just going offense ranks this, uh, defense ranks this the entire time. And Kirk Cousins, only behind, uh, actually has the second highest combined pressure rate of the week. And I love Kevin when we can get some of these stats and they match what we're actually seeing on the film. And 
like Jimmy Garoppolo, it just seems like Kirk Cousins shits the bed every single time the pocket starts to go a little bit haywire. Like, okay, if you draw it up right, he's got a clean pocket. There's not many guys better at just delivering a strike. But last season, only Jameis had a bigger, you know, drop off in yards per attempt when kept clean versus under pressure. From your experience, though, am I looking too deep into this? Like, how stable are kind of these under pressure versus kept clean metrics? And is this something where when we're looking at quarterback play, when we're looking at receivers, should a massive disadvantage at the line of scrimmage, or should I say a massive perceived disadvantage at the line of scrimmage, you know, really impact what, what our opinions are of the Vikings passing game? Yeah, I mean, I think it should, although I will say that I don't know if it's Cousins. I don't know if it's the particular scheme that they've been running, which they'll continue a variation of this season underneath Kevin O'Connell. But his offensive line has been pretty poorly ranked for a while now. It's the type of ranking where if we saw it for others, there might be a lot of excuse making. And he just doesn't take a lot of sacks. So I agree that he might be bad on a yards per attempt sort of basis. He's not going to give you wow plays under pressure, but he's also mitigating some of the floor. So when it comes to things more on the, you know, on the betting side of things, how well will Minnesota play in this game? You look up and you say, oh my God, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the defense and this and that. And then you look up every single time they're playing the Vikings and it's within three points, right? Is it, you can't even get a, you can't even get a three point line. You can't even get anything significant out of it. And between three points is almost meaningless. We're talking about a point or two between these teams. So I just think the Cousins is not going to give you the upside from a fantasy perspective if he's getting pressured a lot, but he still can mitigate mitigate the downside and move the ball down the field to at least stay close. It's really going to be more, I think, on the other side of the ball, what Aaron Rodgers is going to end up doing this year where maybe I'll whisper it a little bit, but even though he's won two straight MVPs, he's kind of been game managing a little bit the last couple of seasons. You know, he's not out there throwing the ball a ton like a Josh Allen or like a Patrick Mahomes. He's someone who... He gets a healthy share of touchdowns from the one or two yard line, help juice up those stats a little bit and what he's doing there. So that'll probably still continue this season. It'll just be a little bit less of potentially moving the ball down the field without really knowing who's going to be able to stretch things in this offense. There, it does seem like Rodgers and Tom Brady, and I think I pulled a stat at some point uh, in the middle of last season that actually did show this was the case, but it's like that scene from Ricky Bobby when Cal Norton like asked Ricky if maybe he could win one of these races, and Ricky's like, well, how, how am I going to win then, man? So it's nothing wrong with second place. I feel like that's the conversation that Rodgers and Brady have with their running backs like every time inside the five-yard line. It's like, we're still going to score, but I'm going to be the one throwing it. Sometimes Brady getting that sneak in there. So with the Vikings offense, you mentioned how Cousins is going to be in a new slightly adjusted scheme and I guess one of my biggest annoyances of this offseason was just the Cooper Cup role for Justin Jefferson because he's already Justin Jefferson who gives a shit if he lines up in the slot a handful more reps per game with that said though it is a new scheme Justin Jefferson aside Kevin could you see the scheme like really bringing out the best in someone whether that's Cousins KJ Osborne or Irv Smith potentially yeah I think so but it's going to be not a slam dunk that they're going to pass the ball a lot more as some people have thought. I mean, an analogy to Kevin O'Connell is probably when uh, Kevin Stefanski came in for the Browns. And I think people saw this, Hey, this is an analytics front office. It's an analytical, you know, type of young head coach coming in. Um, And what do they do though? They were not by any stretch expanding the horizons as far as first and second down passing And part of that is you have to account for your personnel. Now they didn't have, you know, they had Baker Mayfield and they had a bunch of guys who didn't really seem to fit with them. They did not have a Justin Jefferson on there. So maybe they will pivot off of that a bit more and focus a little bit more on just Justin Jefferson. But I don't think it necessarily means because you have a younger guy, you know, Zimmer's not there anymore, that they're going to, they're going to just open it up and pass the ball a lot. I think it's really going to be those types of decisions that are made on, maybe third and medium, fourth down, other sorts of places where you're playing for four downs, you're getting that incremental advantage. That's probably going to be a bigger difference for them than it's going to be that they're going to pass the ball 65% of the time on first down versus running it half of the time as they have in the past. Fair points all around. I will say just in terms of the player-specific usage, should see more K.J. Osborne, Irv Smith, just in terms of total snaps. We'll see what happens with the opportunities. And if you're out there, if you got George Kittle, you're wondering if he's even going to be playing, I do think Irv Smith and even Gerald Everett for the Chargers, those are the two guys not owned you know, in over 60% of Yahoo leagues. I think you can really feel good about streaming this week. 
Kevin, another you know note about the combined pressure rates going on here. The Saints are popping off as having one of the top advantages. The Falcons last year, the single worst defense in getting after the passer. Things have changed. I know Toronto Armstead, longtime left tackle. You know he's now residing in Miami, which you know good for him. That's awesome. But uh, you know looking at the Saints now. We got Jameis back. Like, was Jameis not put on this planet to put up massive numbers on a mediocre team overall? Like, I think we're underestimating the chance for Jameis, maybe not going 33 and 30, but he doesn't have Sean Payton scowling at him after he throws a bonehead and interception anymore, man. I'm not sure if Dennis Allen's going to have a long leash or what's going to go on, but I just feel like, man, we're maybe discounting the possibility that Jameis gets to be Jameis and Michael Thomas, Alave, Jarvis Landry, Kamara. I don't know, man. The We're not getting the weekly NFC South shootouts. It's probably not going to be 2018, 2019 again. But what are your overall thoughts on the Saints passing game? And do you think this could be one of those offenses where, like, we just have a much different kind of opinion and, and idea about it this time next week? Yeah, I mean, Jameis was one of the guys I pointed to as a later round quarterback who had some some upside. And I don't know if this week is necessarily the best week going against the Falcons. But I think the path really, the most likely path towards Jameis getting some real volume would be the defense not performing at the same level as it has in the past. I mean, if you look at this team, we have Cameron Jordan, who's in his early 30s, who's been a mainstay there for a long time. Marcus Davenport has played well. He's been a guy who's been pretty good there. Demario Davis has been a good middle linebacker. But then when we get to the secondary, We've seen how they lost Marcus Williams, how they, they're letting other guys go like C.D. Deuce. They're letting him go for basically nothing. I know they're bringing in Honey Badger. I know they're bringing in Marcus May who's also you know, got some, some issues they may be having on the legal side. But this is a little bit more fragile on that side. And if that defense is not playing as well, then you're forced to let Jameis be Jameis, to let him be free. To let him be all he can be. But that's let him great use for us. Those workouts, those workouts he's been doing <laughs> in the offseason. He could use that. Did you look? Know, he had a great Jameis is like the most unintentional. I don't know if he's unintentionally funny or just like the funniest dude. He was talking about the elbows and the knees. Did you see that clip recently? It's so good. I did not so see good. That one. So I just want more Jameis in my life, period. And that means more Jameis throwing the ball. And if you look at what he did last season, small sample, he only started seven games, but I was looking at what ended up happening in those games as far as the pass rate versus expectation. Now, one, they had a very low expected pass rate in total in these games. The expected pass rate was even at 50 or under 50% in three of those uh, seven games because they were just killing. They, they, they were high efficiency. He was he was being so efficient, he was hurting his own uh, passing volume. That's what was – and the defense was being so good on the other side. He was hurting his own passing volume. Well, so and for, to be yeah, fair, why why would they be airing it out when yeah. we, this time last year, man, we cannot stop talking about Marquez Callaway. That was the freaking wide receiver we were riding with. So that's the personnel difference should make a difference in what we're seeing this year. No, I agree. It should make a difference. And it's going to be that ability to get back into games if you really need to do so. So, yeah, so their pass rate versus an ex- expectation, it was 8% under, 6% under, 6% under, 13% under in week four. Then it, it went to 12% over and 2%, 3% over. So there was a little bit of a trend there. I think some of the the Saints will never throw the ball was more a circumstance of how they were just stomping on some of these teams really early and had no need to do so. Now, this week... Could be another one of those weeks. As much as I love the number one versus number two pick of 2015 rematch and the rebirth of Marcus Mariota, I'm not not buying the Falcons quite yet to be able to do much offensively. Yeah, it's the problem with this matchup. I mean, I would love to think maybe a sneaky shootout. We do have, you know, that old, like this game five years ago, I'm sure the game total would be, you know, 55 or something. Try and look it up right now, but guessing it's not going to be too much higher than the mid forties. What, like, I guess, we were talking about, you know, the coverage, you know, and for the Saints falling off. And I'm looking at the Falcons and AJ Terrell. He only shadowed once all of last season. That was against Justin Jefferson. Maybe that changes this year. You know, it's one of those things where that was 2021. This is 2022. I get it. Elsewhere, though, we got Casey Hayward, who turns 33 tomorrow. Mike Ford in the slot. Like, I do wonder if people just look at the matchup and they go, AJ Terrell's great. Michael Thomas is screwed. When reality, like they might only line up against each other on 30, 40% of these snaps. Like, I guess 
when you see someone like AJ Terrell in that secondary, does that even play a factor in how you're thinking about these wide receivers? Because Kevin, as someone that's been, you know, trying to chart these shadow matchups and doing a weekly wide receiver cornerback article for the better part of the last five years, I feel like I know these matchups better than almost anyone, but I feel like that what that's taught me is to fade them more times than not. If it's like a tiebreaker thing, okay, that's fine. But generally, I just think the volume can win out. And even when we think we know what's going on with the matchup, it just doesn't always turn out that way. Last year, you know, Jalen Ramsey shut down Justin Jefferson because he only had two catches in his coverage. It's like, yeah, he caught eight other passes, you know, moving around the slot where the cornerback wouldn't uh, travel with him. So overall thoughts on like, I guess, how you're adjusting your analysis when you're facing A.J. Terrell or if it really even matters when the rest of the defense is probably this bad. Yeah, I don't think A.J. Terrell is really going to matter when we talk about the rest of the Falcons defense. I mean, maybe there's something to the fact of, you know, I don't know how often, but Jarvis Landry can maybe play on outside if they really need him to play on outside sometimes versus throwing uh, Michael Thomas in the slot, assuming he's going he's gonna to be able to play and go. I think that's probably more of a concern than anything else when we look at a player like Michael Thomas is how well will, he'll be, will he be moving around? And then it's going to be a lot of other factors that are going into it. I mean, this Falcons team is bad. It's kind of similar to the Bears team where – the previous front office is kind of messed up so badly that it's taking multiple years to even dig out of what the, of what they were doing before. So this is a team that's not going anywhere this season. So they don't really have the type of depth in the secondary or at linebacker to be able to cover people. But again, you're just hoping maybe the saints, the, 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 the Marcus Mariota factor, that's what you need. You need that. You need that will unlock so much in that game. If he can end up playing well on the other side of the ball, that's going to be the bigger factor than, you know, who AJ Terrell is facing 47% of the time. Before we get on to a few more topics, I want to quickly take a break and shout out some of our lovely sponsors. And hey, first of all, PFF now with an app. You can get access to our industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis, all in the palm of your hand. Just actually unleashed our new start-sit tool hours and more like minutes before we started recording this podcast that can now give you basically all the questions you're always adding me kevin nathan yonke about right in the palm of your hand so i also started a pff fantasy football community it is pinned on the top of my twitter account because i do like answering you guys to start sick questions but some of you guys have me on notifications which i appreciate and my god that must be annoying to get 50 straight tweets about you know just random start sits so if you guys want extra you know access to the pff crew check out the pff app and don't be afraid to come join our PFF fantasy football community. And when you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Also, get ready for NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And now everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up 7, you win. But on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by 7 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. And finally, our newest partner is revolutionizing the world of sports betting and fan engagement by making sports fandom profitable. That company is Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol was a PFS sponsor last year, and they are back for this football season. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol took the thrill of sports betting and combined it with the profitability of the stock market to give you a platform where fortune favors the fan. Download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M. B-U-L-L in the app store and use code Ian I-A-N to receive a free team stock value up to $150 upon signing up. The PFF team is even getting in the symbol market themselves this season. Create a free account, enter code Ian to get a free stock value up to $150 and compete against the PFF forecast podcast this season on symbol. Kevin, I congratulations. Thanks, congratulations man. on that. By the way. Na- nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I will say this when I was doing the ad reads last year, uh, the hope MY thing, I was saying hoppany for like five weeks. 
And then finally, that's good. That's good. I like that. That's not something I would have expected. That's not something I would have expected, but that's good. And then finally, a few uh, lovely listeners pointed out like, hey, Ian, um, Hope NY, which I probably should have put together by the whole New York thing in front of it. But <laughs> we've uh, we figured that out, mastered it and moved on. So I've been I don't want to say a Geno Smith stan, Kevin, but I've been a little bit of an apologist here lately. Geno Smith was not bad last season. Yet, here he is at the very, very bottom of your QB rankings behind Daniel Jones and Mitchell Trubisky, Joe Flacco. It, it, like, can Geno Smith, at least Kevin, exist in those like three seconds between getting the snap and just lofting the ball somewhere in the general vicinity of DK Metcalf? Because that is, I mean, that if he can't, then okay, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett probably should be ranked where they are. But if Geno Smith can just be bad instead of horrific as you kind of have it ranked right now there could be some upside in the Seahawks passing game talk a little bit about Geno Smith and you know if if you do really believe he's just going to crater everything that happens in Seattle yeah yeah again I'll explain a little bit methodology wise here so Geno Smith was a second round pick right so the expectations for those guys are not that high I basically discount anything that happened beyond five years ago so his glorious starting years in uh, for for the Jets, where you know he actually had like a decent four or five game stretch. I think to end his rookie year, people were kind of excited about. He was like a rushing guy, believe it or not. This is back in the in the olden days where everyone was statues, so you could get excited about Jake Locker and Geno Smith and their Jake Konami Locker. code uh, upside back back then. So it, it does discount him a bit there. He doesn't have a lot of sample. All of that throws him down and makes it very low in the rankings but also that's the expectation but the the variance is a lot higher for a player like him because we don't have a big sample so if you're looking at someone who has upside he's going to have higher upside than the trubiskys of the world than the daniel joneses of the world than the others who are down there near the bottom but have had a ton more dropbacks over the last five years so that's what you're hoping for right with geno smith i have to check myself sometimes if i did not have access to Twitter and to see various Geno stands out there who seem to be coming out of the woodwork. Um, I would probably be more high on Geno myself because I would consider myself on this like Geno Island, but instead it's, it's populated. Like it's, it's overcrowded. <laughs> we need a high rise on Geno Island just to fit all of these people in. So that's the only reason I'm a little bit skeptical of him. I don't know how that's going to flow through though to when we're talking about how often he's being rostered in DFS or other things like that. I don't really understand that, but I know that at least from the optics that I'm seeing, and maybe I'm part of a weird, sicko, bizarro Gino world, <laughs> it looks like a lot of people are backing him right now. I just, when you look at DK Metcalf, pretty much a consensus top five dynasty wide receiver this time last year. And if Russ was still there, I think we'd have a really tough time keeping him out of the top 10. And to see him regularly, man, falling into legit wide receiver three territory throughout the offseason. I mean, I was just asking the question, like if, St if Stafford's elbow completely goes to shit and we have Sean Mannion freaking under center there for the Rams, like would Cooper Cup be outside the top 24? If, uh, you know, if Justin Jefferson had to deal with life without Kirk Cousins, would he be outside the top 24? Maybe, but doesn't this seem a little bit extreme, man? Yeah, I think it does seem extreme. I think it's probably an overplay on the thought that Pete Carroll is now, you know, he's in charge. Russell Wilson's gone. The, the kitchen has been shut down and it's just going to be nothing but grinding away on the ground and playing defense. The problem is the defense might stink and they have a lot of hard matchups where they're going to be going from behind and Gino will push the ball down the field. So, you know, I agree with all these things. I guess the problem with Gino, if anyone's thinking about him, you know, going on a longer term basis is. Drew Locke's going to be in in like two weeks, and then they're going to go back to Geno two weeks after that. You know this is coming. You yeah. know this is coming. So just that disjointedness of what you can expect is probably going to scare a lot of people off whether it should or not. And of course, you know, we can always rely on Pete Carroll just giving us the absolute best uh, reports during the week about competitions and injured players and all that. I mean, that. Drew Locke was in position to start before he got COVID, right? Kind of. Wasn't he going to start the preseason game? We, I don't know. Maybe they were going back and forth. But my, my whole thing is like, oh, Geno Smith, this preseason. I mean, he was good. Don't get me wrong. You know, Geno Smith, he, he won the job. But Drew Locke, like if, if Drew Locke doesn't get COVID, we may be talking about Drew Locke being the starter right now. Uh, it's too soon as a Drew Locke apologist to talk about that. I think Gino was the highest graded passer like of the preseason. The dude has. Yeah, to, like, yeah, get... I think he was. I think maybe Mariota was higher, but Mariota had like 17 dropbacks or something like that. Which, you know, 
It is preseason. I remember when I was doing all my USFL uh, research, I was, you know, doing a lot of Kyle Sloter uh, revisionist history and like just looking at the top kind of 10, like highest grade preseason passers. It was Mahomes and these studs and like Kyle Sloter just sitting there. It was basically that meme of, you know, all like the army men with the clown, like also with them. And unfortunately, Sloter turned into the clown, but hey, he had some good weeks over there. There, the There USFL is a correlation stuff. though. I, I will say I have looked at it. There is a correlation between preseason grading and for or for young players and how well they play during the season. The problem is it's like it's kind of all over the place. It's pretty yeah. slight, slight correlation. So you'll see a lot of great quarterbacks like Dak, Russell Wilson, others who tore it up in the preseason. And then you'll see like Mason Rudolph and you see some other guys in there. So you can't be certain of it, but it's better. To, that, that's what always annoys me about like anyone who wants to shit on anything, including preseason <laughs> play. It's like everything doesn't matter to it some degree right yeah the not matteringness is a little bit higher here but let us live people we live on a rock floating around the freaking sun man <laughs> nothing matters if you really want to dig football what are we even here for why do we even exist I just want to keep talking about the worst offenses in the league because it and I, I get pleasure from it for some reason. So we'll, let's get through a couple more of these, Kevin, before sure, we get out of here. With the Giants, the wide receiver room is a mess right now. I think it's really tough. Other than kind of a dart on Kadarius Tony, because my God, that guy's talented. Expecting anything in week one, we're still in Shepard back, messing up the Wandale thing, Kenny Galladay, you know, being compared to a mannequin. Probably not the week to, you know, be investing too much in the wide receivers, but Daniel Jones is someone where I think we kind of know who he is at this point, but Brian Dable was able to make Josh Allen a great fantasy quarterback, even before he was a great real life quarterback in 2018 and 2019, I mean, 2018, especially had nothing to work with. I, I, I get that. And uh, Daniel Jones is not going to turn to Josh Allen. I'm not coming here telling you that. But when I look at this Giants offense, like they brought in Tyrod Taylor to be the backup quarterback. I mean, the one thing that Daniel Jones does better than, you know, more pretty much other than like five, six quarterbacks in the league is his ability to run. I mean, with Daniel Jones, Kevin, could we be talking about just arbitrage, poor man's, homeless man's Trey Lance here? Because I feel like we could look up after Sunday and just see, you know, Daniel Jones with double-digit rush attempts. And it's pretty hard historically for quarterbacks to bust if they are going to be running the ball that much. So I guess, do you think the difference in rushing usage between guys like Lance and Fields is going to be all that different from Daniel Jones this year? Um, I think – so, so Daniel Jones, like he has a chance to be a uh, destitute man's uh, Trey Lance. So that's, he's not going, he's not, he hasn't, he hasn't, we don't know if he could be, if he can make it to destitute Trey Lance at this point. Because when we talk about Allen or we talk about Lance, one of the keys is not just the rushing yards, but you could probably get some touchdowns. They're also going to be used on some short yarders type of situations. Daniel Jones can run. I have no numbers to back this up, but my vibes tell me from what I've seen from him, <laughs> he will pull it sometimes on on a on a on a read option and then take it for like 40 yards sometimes, which is fine and it could work and it's it's a nice little boost, but it's not going to be a consistent sort of thing where you have to account for him every single time you're in a third or fourth and short like you would have to do with the Josh Allen or a Trey Lance. So in that way, I think it's a bit different. I've been all over the place with Jones. I got kind of excited about Jones. And then I realized that this is a team that that wants to tank, I think, a lot harder than it even can because it can't cut anybody yeah. because of these contracts that they have. They take on like twice as much dead money as their cap number for like half of the roster right now, including Kenny Galladay, who's just a king. Go get, go get that bag, Kenny Galladay. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, man. It, that makes me a little bit scared too. That that I, I understand Dayball's coming in. I understand he can do he can hopefully do some things. But you know, Dayball was there for year one and year two for Josh Allen, where he wasn't very good at much other than running the ball recklessly down the field and hurling defenders. And I just don't know if we're going to see that from Daniel Jones this season. Mentioning cap space always makes me pull up the available cap space. And uh, yeah, Cowboys still third even after getting Jason Peters. I don't know. Will Fuller. Please, someone doesn't even have to be Will Fuller. Does Will Fuller exist? Okay. Is there, I need a picture of Will Fuller holding today's copy of the New York Times (laughs) before I believe that he even is still here. It's like him and Biggie and Tupac out on an island somewhere hanging out. 
we got that August report that he planned on signing later, and I took that as a good sign because we had heard literally nothing from the guy the entire offseason. I don't know anymore. I'll, I'm not taking the L just yet, Kevin. We're extending that timeline, but uh, it's certainly yeah, not. Yeah, on a long good. enough timeline, you never have to take an L. That's the beauty of it. Oh, just just not Noah Brown. Just not Noah Brown. You're starting two wide receiver sets. Is that is that too much to ask here? I don't know. All right, looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers here, how long do you think to – over under two and a half stars for Mitch Trubisky this year, Kevin. Oh, I'm going under, way under. <laughs> uh, two and a half way under. <laughs> I'm taking under two and a half quarters. Okay, this reminds me a lot of 2017 Texans, where oh yes, uh, what I was mean Deshaun name? Watson was kind of bad during Tom the Savage. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of bad during the preseason. Don't get me wrong, and he he didn't really look great actually when he came in halftime week one, mind you, down nineteen nothing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He didn't really look great in that one. He didn't look that great week two against the Bengals, but he ran like a fifty yard touchdown after he then got his he just head went, taken off too. That was a yeah. Sick. Yeah, and, and then he just went nuclear like the rest of, of that season. And I remember just tilting so hard during that whole offseason at the fact that Tom Savage was going to be playing. Even DeAndre Hopkins was like, Savage is our guy. I was like, what's wrong with you people? So I think this is a very similar situation. Trubisky is Trubisky. I'm sorry. Like, he is Miss Trubisky. We're going to see him do that. Like, he was twirling around in the preseason and then throwing it off. And I know he had some good plays, but it would not shock me at all if they're down 21 nothing at halftime against the Bengals. And you see Kenny Pickett come in in the second half. And I'm like, why don't you just get him – the, the first team starter reps here. I don't care that you're an underdog on the road against the Bengals. Like, just put him in there. He was getting the ball out of his hands quickly. He was not zero turnover where he plays during the preseason. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be very, very soon, though, that we're going to see Kenny Pickett. Hopefully they can figure something out because if Deontay Johnson is going to play through the pain, still dealing with that shoulder issue, based on what, you know, but the Bengals did in this matchup last year. They had Chidobe Awuzie, you know, very good corner in his own right, covered Deontay Johnson man-to-man. And then they would actually use uh, Eli Apple, everyone's favorite, you know, trash can cornerback. They would use him on Chase Claypool with Chase Claypool in the slot. Now it does seem like George Pickens could be eating against Eli Apple in his first game out there. I'm not sure if the hype can get any higher for Pickens, but big week one from either Chubisky or Pickett. We'll see. I just couldn't get over like the, they brought in Trubisky. They use a first round pick on Kenny Pickett. And we're still going to pretend like Mason Rudolph, like had any sort of say in this competition. That was the one part that I just couldn't get past. Are you standing Mason Rudolph? Cause that, no. that would be a unique Island. That would be a unique Island. I was still sticking on the James Washington train. Cause he, that poor guy's had to catch passes from Mason Rudolph, like the last 10 years, even going back to the Oklahoma state days, unfortunately hurt the foot. And you know, it, it is problematic with someone like James Washington when it's like, okay, you're not doing anything. And seemingly Everyone else at your position on this team uh, is having one great season after another. Get well soon, James. Last one, Kevin. Joe Flacco starting for the Jets. I feel like this is definitely an upgrade over injured Zach Wilson. And as much as I want Zach Wilson to be a thing, because I just think the way he plays football is really fun to watch for better and mostly for worse. But it might just be an upgrade for this talent, you know, in general. You did it. You've had a great series going on the last couple of years at PFF, you know, about breakout wide receivers and looking at, uh, you know, just historical comps and stuff. Do you think Elijah Moore could be someone where regularly being drafted outside the top 30 wide receivers this year, but this time next year, we're talking about a legit top 12, top 15 guy? Oh, yeah. No, no, no doubt. I mean, he had a quarterback situation last year to say it was unenviable would be. Uh, an understatement um, and he was missing time. He was kind of had some, some injury concerns there also. And when he did play, he was highly efficient. He was that guy who had these incredible numbers as far as market share and what he was able to do on teams, which at at least a portion of the time had AJ Brown there had DK Metcalf there. He was still able to produce pretty well uh, at a very young age there. So yeah, I think that upside is very high for him and it's, it's can be good for receivers to have a complete statue back there. Who's just willing to throw the ball and a team that is going to be trailing a lot is going to have to throw the ball a lot. And a guy who can at least get the ball out of his hands quickly too, because more is a guy, he's not going to be like a necessarily a scramble drill type of guy down the field as his best option. I think his best option is get the ball in his hands early, let him get some um, yards after the catch. And that's something Flacco could probably execute better than a healthy Zach Wilson. 
Zach Wilson. They're not even going to get a read on him this year, man, because he's just banged up. Credit to the Jets for really going out of their way uh, to try to just give Wilson a lot of pieces to work with. Get Wilson. Yeah, they got pieces. I mean, Garrett Wilson can't even get on the field, right? So after, I mean, think about the offensive line. I mean, I know that there's been some injuries there, of course. So that was, that was unfortunate, but still they spent a lot of money on Fant. You know, they bring in Dwayne Brown. Now they have, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who ended up costing him a ton in the draft. They were in the um they were in the rumors, I think, for Tyreek, right? Like they've been trying yeah. to go get their Stefan Diggs equivalent. Yeah, yeah. He he was basically they bid up they bid up Tyreek. They brought in multiple tight ends. They brought in Corey Davis, overpaid Corey Davis. I think you know, last year. They had a lot of room to kind of overpay a lot of dudes. And that's what they've done. I mean, almost every single position across the entire offense, they've tried as best they can to upgrade it. I mean, running back doesn't matter, of course, but, but, you know, they bring in, they bring in Brees Hall there. It's just, God, they really don't have the quarterback. And which I wish they would have done this season is this is sorry, DFS people. This has nothing to do with it. This is my normal rants here. I mean, I really think the, the Giants should have also done something like this is why not bring in a non Mike white, non Joe Flacco dude. You know, there were guys in the third round who were available that you could be drafted. There was my man, Skylar, Thompson in the seventh yeah. round here, here future Skyler Thompson will, will play a snap in the NFL. That's Ooh, my bull take. Let's go. My let's bull go. take. And so it's at some point this season, I don't know what he's gonna be doing. Maybe a meaningless snap, but he will play a snap. Like why not just throw a dart at somebody at some point to bring someone in? Because I mean, Zach Wilson, he could turn things around, but you've built this great structure around him. And now you're going to be dependent on, you know, where's your draft position going to be next year? Who's going to be available on the free agent market after you spent all this money on, on a whole bunch of other players. And then, you know, Zach Wilson was, is a coin flip at best. And otherwise you're starting over with a rookie there. I don't know. I jets, Joe Douglas. Anyway, I can't, I can't, (laughs) just fans are very salty. Uh, now that they've won the Elijah Vera Tucker trade because the the Vikings released everyone that they drafted last year. Um, but uh, I don't know what's going on in New York, but I wish them the best. So, you know, I'll end it that way. The, pre- the preseason Skylar Thompson, I mean, mixtape was something else, Kevin. Like he, Dude, he was good. He was, I mean, he's like 26 or something. So there's something to that. He's a little bit old, but you know, Kenny Pickett's, you know, not exactly a spring yeah. chicken either, but yeah, no, Duke can make some plays. He, he had that like rollout to his left, you know, throwing it just 55 yards downfield, hit his receiver in the face mask like he didn't catch it. But it was pretty much the same throw that we all jerk each other off to like in March when guys are doing it in pro days against nobody. It's like, hey, I know it's third, fourth quarter against a bunch of backups, but like, you know, our – I think you said this once has maybe really rethink what I consider about the, the big time throw metric we have, where I think you said it was more, um, more descriptive of style of play than necessarily, you know, an objective measure of like who's better or worse at quarterback, because who, who, who cares about the style if you get 20 yards, you know, if it's in a tight window or you just find the open guy, but man, Skyler, and was it, uh, who was the wide receiver that kept coming down with those like 20 plus Azuke or some, or some shit. I forget his name. Sorry, but Skylar Thompson, man, I, I got him on two dynasty squad. Kevin's I'm, I'm right. I'm you're in the front of the bandwagon. I'm happy to be uh, in your passenger seat though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a Matt Waldman special. Although Waldman and I you know, both liked Matt Corral too. So, you know, maybe, maybe crowd would have had a chance, but he, he, he was pretty rough. He was pretty rough in the preseason. You like rushing errors and the guy with a monster arm. I don't see uh, any reason to apologize for that. Kevin Cole, everyone, again, senior data scientist at PFS, has some of the best showdown uh, content on the planet. You can find that on PFF.com Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night. Also get his weekly quarterback rankings. And, yeah, we'll be doing this each and every Thursday. So anything else you want to get off your chest, Kevin? No, no. Yeah. If anyone enjoys what they're hearing here, you know, wants to get some of that goodness on the content side, the unexpected points, just so you know, a little bit more on – uh, the side of non-fantasy, but I do come out with like adjusted scores where I adjust all around based on EPA, what the actual score versus the adjusted scores. I try to piss off a different fan base every week <laughs> by telling them that their team maybe isn't as good as, as they think they are. And uh, I'll be wrapping up the different uh, island games and, of course, the Sunday uh, slate after it happens each week. Great stuff, as always, Kevin. And I thought this was a fun matchups pod. If you guys have any suggestions about what you'd rather be hearing us bark about here on Thursdays, just maybe more Skylar Thompson talk, clearly. More Sky- yeah, clearly more Skylar. <laughs> that just needs to be a weekly segment at this point. Did you see those uh, pregame warm-up tosses he had? But uh, yeah, just let us know. Again, adjusting here on the fly, obviously, but always a great day to be great. And we'll be coming back here, you know, pretty much each and every day throughout the season, hopefully getting you ready to go win those fantasy football championships. So for Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football podcast until next time take care everybody